the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a privilege. Today is Tuesday, March the 31st, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on March 31, 1968, at the conclusion of a nationally broadcast address on Vietnam, President Lyndon Johnson stunned the listeners, probably some of the people that he was most closely associated with. He declared, quote, I shall not seek, I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Today in 1811, German scientist Robert Bunsen, he was born, I mentioned him only because he invented so many things that we still use today. One of the things that he invented was the Bunsen burner. Today in 1880, Wabash, Indiana, they became the first town in the world to be illuminated by electrical lighting. Who would have thought? Wabash, Indiana. Today in 1889, the Eiffel Tower in Paris officially opened. Today in 1918, daylight savings time went into effect for the first time. And today in 1933, President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed the Emergency Conservation Work Act, created the Civilian Conservation Corps, CCC, Today in 1943, Oklahoma, the first musical play by Rodgers and Hammerstein, it opened on Broadway, very successful, as we all know, as were many others that the two of them went on to write. Today in 1975, Gunsmoke, the program, it closed out the Western program, closed out 20 seasons on CBS with its final first-run episode. The name of the episode was The Sharecroppers. Today in 2004, American civilian contractors were killed, four of them, in Fallujah, Iraq. The crowds were so frenzied by the leaders that had been whipping up their emotions, they dragged the burned and mutilated bodies through the streets and then hung them from a bridge. And that image was carried around the world. Today in 2009, Benjamin Netanyahu became the Israeli Prime Minister after the Knesset approved of his government. Nearly 150 years after the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, was penned in the midst of tragedy, a new virtual choir rendition emerged last Thursday. It's continuing. Millions now have seen it on the Internet because millions are looking for hope. They want it to be well with their soul and with their community, with their life. Interesting thing happened. I just want to touch on how it happened. I want to talk about more about why it happened. But one of the, David Wise, he's a producer in Nashville, well-known. He works with a lot of people that we all know or have heard of, Christian artists, Steve Green, Sandy Patty, all those kind of people. He's won a lot of Dove Awards and one thing or another. There's a whole community of people in Nashville, and it's true in in all music communities where music is made, 
There's a whole group of people called background singers. You don't know their names, but they're on most of the records you hear, secular or Christian. There's a Christian community in Nashville that there's just certain people you call. They can walk in and they can read their lines. They can sing their lines on pitch first time. And the record producers use from that pool, they use them all the time. And they make a good living at doing that, but they're not famous. But they're on most of the records that we know. They're the the songs, the recorded songs that we know about. So it is from that group that Wise pulled these people together. I won't even mention their names. You've never heard of them before. But there was a group of people who were background singers who can sing on pitch and do it every time. He called. They're in their homes, of course, because we're not supposed to be going out. We're supposed to be staying home and so on. So they all took their cell phone and they sang their part, their, you know, alto, soprano, bass, tenor, whatever, on this song. They were told the key. They all sang it on their cell phone and sent it to Dave Wise, all the different parts. He produced the song, put it together, and they put it on the Internet. It's incredible. And it's out there. And millions. There was 1.4 million the first day they put it up. We're watching and listening to it. Because people are looking for hope. There's an interesting story behind this. I want to give you the context. This guy, Horatio Stafford, wrote the song. And he wrote it after his four daughters were drowned at sea back in 1873. He was an American lawyer. He was a real estate investor. He was a church elder Love the Lord. In 1873, he and his wife Anna and their four daughters had planned to visit Europe. It's kind of a family outing. But business kept Horatio home. The song, the song was born out of deep tragedy. On the voyage, the ship, Anna, their four daughters were traveling on, struck another vessel and sank rapidly. Only Anna survived. She sent a hauntingly brief telegram to Horatio, bearing the words, Saved Alone. On his own voyage to meet Anna, his ship as it neared the place where their ship had gone down and his daughters had been drowned, he was inspired to write the lyrics for the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Un- Unlike many of the heartbreak songs that we hear, hymns and otherwise, this focuses less on what was lost and more on where hope can be found. And there is no doubt that Spatford was shattered by the loss of his daughters, but his heart turned to the faithfulness of God in his great loss. Some of the lyrics of the song, we know it well, it's one of my favorites, I can tell you for sure. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet through trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ was regarded by helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is well with my soul. Is it well with our soul? I want to talk to you very directly today in love. 
for two reasons. One, I have prayed very seriously, very fervently, that God would speak to some hearts today who perhaps don't normally listen to this program, but would happen to be driving somewhere and have their radio turned on, happen to be sitting in their home, happen to be happen to be in a some form of isolation, which most of us are supposed to be, whatever, that God will say something to your heart that I'm not capable of saying. But let me share what God has laid on my heart for you. And then you and God can decide what you feel you should do about it. In Isaiah, there's an interesting portion of Scripture. It's Isaiah chapter 6. As a pastor, I've spoken on this, of course, over the years. But the Bible says in Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. That's an incredible encounter that Isaiah had with the Lord. He could have said, it is well with my soul. But notice that he mentions in his writing of this scripture inspired by God, infallible word of God. As Isaiah is writing, he says, it took place in the year that King Uzziah died. In order to understand the significance, why would he say that? But in order to understand the significance of that, we've got to take a look, just a quick look at Uzziah's life. In the book of Second Chronicles, we find that Uzziah was 16 years old when he took the throne, a kid. He went on to reign in Jerusalem for 52 years. <laughs> Nobody in America politically lasts that long, do they? Or few, if they do. But under his leadership, the nation rose to incredible heights of political, financial, military power. In fact, Second Chronicles, Chronicles chapter 26, verse 5 says, As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. The people flourished. There was giftings bestowed. There was ability to invent and produce new weapons of war. And it made Judah the marvel of the nations. They were strong. They were, they were nationally secure and, and all. You and I can lay some claim to that. It's similar to America. We're a young nation compared to most of them on the face of the earth today. Yet it's indisputable that people who came to this country from all over the world were made strong, not by political leaders, but by the hand of God working through the leadership that we have chosen. It's indisputable. America has been blessed. We were marvelously helped, wonderfully gifted. We became the envy of the world in many respects, so much so that Daniel Webster, he was a second generation. He wasn't one of the founding fathers. He came just after them. He was born in 1782, died in 1852. That gives you a context. He is said to be one of the greatest senators, if not the greatest senator that ever served in the United States Senate. He wrote these words. He said, hold on, my friends, to the Constitution and to the Republic for which it stands. Miracles do not cluster. What has happened since, uh, once in 6,000 years may not happen again. 
hold on to the Constitution, for if the American Constitution should fail, there'll be anarchy throughout the world. Then he said this, If we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we and our posterity neglect its instruction and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all of our glory in profound obscurity. That from the unarguably, really, the greatest senator that ever served in the United States Senate. There is an important lesson that we can take from the life of Uzziah. His death was an ominous warning to the nation that greatness without godliness opens the gateway to a sorrowful and tragic finish. In other words, pride goes before destruction. What exactly happened to Uzziah? Well, the scriptures explain it. They're rather clear. The Bible is abundantly clear if we read it with an open mind and heart. The Bible says he was marvelously helped till he became strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. That's in Second Chronicles chapter 26, verses 15 and 16. It was an act that was clearly forbidden in the law. Uzziah decided to go into the temple to offer the incense. The act was a type of a society of its leadership becoming its own judge in doing and deciding what is right and what is wrong, rather than seeking God or godly principles. He had known success for so long that his heart was lifted up with pride. He had reached, he had reached a place where he assumed that he could do nothing wrong in God's sight. If I do it, it must be right. That's where we are in America. People are sticking signs in their lawns all up and down the streets of America. Love wins. God didn't really mean that the model for marriage is a man and a woman raising kids. God didn't really know that that wasn't the foundation, the cornerstone of society, when in fact it is. Love doesn't win. Love is already won at the cross, where Jesus Christ laid down his life and hung before a city that mocked him. He died. But he rose from the dead. That's how love wins. Love doesn't win by giving two guys permission to get married. What's the matter with us? Love wins when we look at the cross, when we see God as he is, and his son, Jesus Christ. Abortion is health care. Where do you find that truth? We have to become so full of ourselves that we decide that that's right, that God is wrong. Moses got it wrong when he came down off the hill. Thou shalt not kill. Well, there are exceptions to that. The big deception. Eighty priests of the Lord went after Uzziah. They warned him. They said, it is not for you to burn the incense of the Lord. In other words, in other words, what are you doing? This is not right. God has not prescribed it to be done this way. You're taking something that is wrong and calling it right. You're taking something evil and trying to call it good. His response? These men who represented the truth of God, trying to persuade him, don't do this. This will kill you. It'll kill us. He became furious with them. He wasn't the man who had become the leader at 16. 
He wasn't the man that had built a great country. He wasn't the man that had done so much for so many. He became the man so full of himself that he thought he could actually replace God in the name of God. What a stark difference between his early years and his later years. Uzziah at that moment was trying to be prophet, priest, and king. He was trying to replace God because he was forbidden. Only the priests could go into the temple and burn the incense. That's God's model. Well, I don't really understand. Why, why would God do I don't know why God would do that. That's the way God did that. And we either abide by his principles or we are destroyed in the process. There's only one prophet, priest, and king. Nobody else can be those three. Nobody else, no matter how much they try, no matter how much power they amass, it doesn't matter if you're Speaker of the House or whatever. You don't have the power to become God. And when you try to do that in the process of human events, it's always destructive. And we can claim to know Christ. We can claim to follow God. We can claim to be a Christian. But I will tell you, it may not be well with everybody's soul who is now seeking solace and hope. And we need that. I know this is direct. But those who disagree and stand for truth, as Isaiah said, have become a prey. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 15. They become a prey, P-R-E-Y, of the ungodly, something to be vilified and cast down. Read, read it for yourself in Isaiah. With the censer still in his hand, with the censer still in his hand and anger rising in his heart, the scripture tells us that Uzziah's forehead broke out in leprosy. It was a visible sign of the spiritually diseased condition on his, of his mind, outward, expressing expression of what had long ago started the ferment inside of him. He found himself, he found himself shamed for the rest of his days. He died in a leopard colony. It's just as the Apostle Paul warned the book in the book of Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all of the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what will be known of God is manifest to them. For God has shown it to them. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became, the futile, became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things that were not fitting. That's in Romans chapter 1. I think many of us are familiar with that. In some ways, in some ways, that's where we are as a nation today. God's response? How does God respond to a nation that finds itself in such a perilous condition? I'm not suggesting that we are them. I'm simply suggesting that we are at a moment in time, we are at a moment in history where we are looking at where this nation has never been where it is today. We have never been in this kind of a place. I believe that God is saying something to our hearts today. I believe that this message will try to be disrupted by anything that can disrupt it. Not from me, but from anyone. I believe that God is trying to speak to the hearts of people today. We have called ourselves Christian. We have gone to the buildings that we now can't go to because we're sequestered in our homes. The churches are empty. People have been traveling the world, 
and spending their lives on whatever. I mean, one cruise after the other. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm all in for fun and doing stuff that matters and all of that kind of thing. I mean, really, I am. But man, we have I have seen the Christian community become so obsessed with the next selfie, with the next story that they can tell, with the next whatever that they can put on social media and everything. I, sometimes I've wondered, I, my own peers, I mean, I'm, I'm vulnerable 100% right now. My own peers ask me, Gary, why are you still doing this? It's time for you to retire. You're that age. Go play golf. I don't want to play golf. I want to be faithful to God, whatever that means. I don't know, but I want to be faithful to God, and I want to do what God has called me to do. And I think there is a as is a is a sense of God trying to speak to His people, not just me. I'm nobody, but to all of us. And God is saying to you, "Let's get our priorities straight. Let's don't live for the next selfie." All of this stuff that's been dominating our lives and dominating our activity and dominating our attention has all of a sudden gone away. I love sports. I can't watch sports now. There isn't any. I mean, it's all been put away. Nothing, nothing, nothing is left in our nation as far as pleasure. We have become lovers of pleasure. We became so dependent upon it. I mean, it was kind of our life. And, oh, yes, we're a Christian. God is wanting to, wanting to invert that process, and he's wanting to make us to become something different than what we have been. Isaiah had a transformation. He was a man of God. He loved the Lord. He served God. He was an elder. But when God called him to be a prophet, he saw the the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the power of God in the presence of God. I believe God is not so much punishing us at this point. I know there are those that would disagree, but I will tell you that I believe that God is not so much punishing us at this moment, but God is trying to speak to our hearts at this moment and to tell us to redirect ourselves. How do we respond to that? How does the nation respond to that? I think it's time that if we're going to sing the song, it is well with our soul. And please understand, I'm saying this out of profound humility and profound sincerity. If God wants, if God is speaking to our hearts, We must have an encounter with God as Isaiah. He immediately became aware of his own uncleanness as well as that of the people around him. None of us are perfect. I'm not suggesting we can become perfect, but we must be aware of the holiness of God and the intent of God for the human race. We must enact policies. We must enact beliefs. We must follow those beliefs in our personal lives, in our family, in all all that is going on in our nation today. And God is trying to turn this nation back to where we were when Daniel Webster was talking about, be careful, because a sudden catastrophe could bury bury this nation in all of its glory and all of its prosperity and all of its blessing. I love this nation. I love America, but not more than God. We're capable of loving both God and the country. Many times we're criticized by the left. They say, well, the, in fact, I talked about it yesterday. The evangelicals are responsible for the coronavirus because they deny science. We don't deny science. We believe science comes from God, just like the blue sky and the birds. God created all things, heaven and earth. He spoke into existence all that is. We don't. That's not where we're coming from. But I'm saying that we claim we claim that the, the trappings of Christianity, and maybe in our hearts we know the Lord, we serve the Lord. 
But in all of that, in all of that, we must come to a place where we see the Lord, and I think God is wanting us to see him instead of simply words that speak to whatever in the culture. How did Isaiah respond? And I think it's important when he saw this. I think it's important that we understand. He didn't say, man, I'm going to go out and try to be a better Christian. (laughs) I think that was an intent. But after being touched by the mercy, Isaiah began to hear the thoughts of God's own heart as he was conversing with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isaiah said, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? It's Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. The right response in a time of crisis, when we see things happening that are transformational, when we can open our eyes to the God whom we claim to love, it is well with our soul. Let's get it well with our soul. We need hope. We need help. We need to know that God loves us. Everybody needs to know that. And you need to know that God loves you. And if you're not a Christian, God loves you. He died for your sins. Jesus Christ gave his life so that you could be saved, so that you could have eternal life. And God will accept you now as you are. That is the hope. The hope is not in killing the virus. Of course we want this to go away. Of course we want to return to normal. I mean, who doesn't want that? But that isn't the objective if we're looking at this from God's point of view. As Isaiah did so many years ago, some things have changed drastically since Isaiah and since his time, but some things have not changed. And we're looking, I'll tell you, we're looking at matters today that are serious. When you see bodies being hauled out of hospitals and loaded in trucks, and we saw that yesterday on video from New York. I mean, they were stacked in these refrigerator trucks. Dozens and dozens and dozens of bodies in refrigerated trucks because there's no place to take them right now. The mortuaries are full. It's a, it's a serious matter. There's no question about that. But as we look at this, and I'm, I'm speaking now to the Christian, God, Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. And I have to wonder, what, what would God be saying to you as an individual? I know what he's saying to me, I think. But I'm seeking God and asking God, what is he saying to me during this time? I know one thing, that God is speaking to his people and God is wanting to get our attention. Am I suggesting that God caused this to happen? No, I'm not. I don't believe that God causes evil. I believe evil exists and God works through things sometimes that are evil. He works all things together for good according to his purposes. But I will tell you, this is not a time to be silent. This godlessness of our generation is not going to go away on its own. We may kill this virus, and I hope and pray we do, and the president's doing everything he can do and doing it well to try to attack this problem. But I will tell you, I will tell you that God is seeking his people to turn from their wicked ways, from their neglectful ways, from their wayward ways, and to see him high and lifted up. He is holy, holy, holy. We are sinful people saved by the grace of God. How must we respond in our time on this planet? I believe that God is saying this is not a time to be silent. God said Isaiah, and he said, go. He said, don't judge your calling according according to the 
according to the way people respond to you, just do what I tell you to do. And I believe that's what God is telling us to do today. Thank you for listening. I trust that God will speak to your heart. God is good, and his mercy endures forever.